We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters. Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month, which obviously no pressure, whatever you've got, we are so appreciative to have, but we have awesome gifts for you. If you want a hand-addressed letter from Morgan and Isabeau, maybe with some special woe stickers other merch just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons hello and welcome to another episode of Womance's public access read-along of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. And I am your odd chapter reader, Morgan. Morgan, we're about to embark on the voyage known as chapter 34. Would you catch us up on uh, what happened in chapter 33? Yeah, uh, so Elizabeth has taken to going for walks. Uh, she's still visiting her cousin and her best friend who got married. Um, and she's taken to go on walks, going on walks in the park, and Mr. Darcy tends to show up. And then one day, his cousin, Mr. Darcy's cousin, shows up, Colonel Fitzwilliam. And Colonel Fitzwilliam shares with Elizabeth that, like, hey, Darcy's not such a bad guy. He just saved his best friend from a disadvantageous marriage because her family is a bunch of goobers and Elizabeth realizes that she is the goober and so she goes home and she cries so hard she has a headache that's true that's accurate nobody likes crying that hard man yeah so we've discovered that Darcy has taken an active role in preventing her sister Jane from being with his best friend Mr. Bingley the labradoodle right okay Excellent. Are you ready to begin? Mm-hmm. Chapter 34. When they were gone, Elizabeth, as if intending to exasperate herself as much as possible against Mr. Darcy, chose for her employment the examination of all the letters which Jane had written to her since her being in Kent. What? Why? <laughs> wow, she wants to dive to the bottom of her anger, man. What, yeah, like, what's... <laughs> She's going to read all of the allusions that Jane fence-sittingly doesn't allude to, and she's just going to read between the lines for how shitty Mr. Darcy is. She is mad. This is not becoming. I get it. I totally get it. That's an Isabeau move. (laughs) Vulnerable moment. Total Isabeau move. Uh, They contained no actual complaint, nor was there any revival of past occurrences or any communication of present suffering. But in all, in almost every line of each, there was a want of that cheerfulness which had been used to characterize her style, and which proceeding from the certainty of a mind at ease with itself and kindly disposed towards everyone had been scarcely ever clouded. Elizabeth noticed every sentence conveying the idea of uneasiness with an attention which it had hardly received on its first perusal. 
Mr. Darcy's shameful boast of what misery he had been able to inflict gave her a keener sense of her sister's sufferings. It was some consolation to think that his visit to Rosings was to end on the day after the next, and still a greater, that in the less than a fortnight she should herself be with Jane again, and enabled to contribute to the recovery of her spirits, by all that affection could do. She could not think of Darcy's leaving Kent without remembering that his cousin was to go with him, but Colonel Fitzwilliam had made it clear that he had no intentions at all, and agreeable as he was, she did not mean to be unhappy about him. While settling this point, she was suddenly roused by the sound of the doorbell, and her spirits were a little fluttered by the idea of its being Colonel Fitzwilliam himself, who had once before called late in the evening, and might now come to inquire particularly after her. But this idea was soon banished, and her spirits were very differently affected, when to her utter amazement, she saw Mr. Darcy walk into the room. In a hurried manner, he immediately began an inquiry after her health, imputing his visit to a wish of hearing that she were better. She answered him with cold civility. (laughs) He sat down for a few moments, and then getting up, walked about the room. Elizabeth was surprised, but said not a word. After a silence of several minutes, he came, toor- he came towards her in an agitated manner and thus began. <laughs> in vain have I struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Elizabeth's astonishment was beyond expression. <laughs> she stared, colored, doubted, and was silent. This he considered sufficient encouragement, and the avowal of all that he felt and had long felt for her immediately followed. He spoke well, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be detailed, and he was not more eloquent on the subjects of tenderness than of pride. His sense of her inferiority, of its being a degradation of the family obstacles with judgment had always opposed the inclination, were dealt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. In spite of her deeply rooted dislike, she could not be insensible to the compliment of such a man's affection, and though her intentions did not vary for an instant, she was at first sorry for the pain he was to receive. (laughs) Till, roused to resentment by his subsequent language, she lost all compassion and anger. She tried, however, to compose herself, to answer him with patience when he should have done. He concluded with representing to her the strength of that attachment, which, in spite of all his endeavors, he had found impossible to conquer, and with expressing his hope, that it would now be rewarded by her acceptance of his hand. As he said this, she could easily see that he had no doubt of a favorable answer. He spoke of apprehension and anxiety, but his countenance expressed a real security. Such a circumstance could only exacerbate farther, and when he ceased, the color rose into her cheeks, and she said, In such cases as this, it is, I believe, the established mode to express a sense of obligation for the sentiments avowed, however unequally they may be returned. It is natural that obligation should be felt, and if I could feel gratitude, I would now thank you, but I cannot. (laughs) I've never desired your good opinion, and you have certainly bestowed it most unwillingly. I'm sorry to have... I am sorry to have occasioned pain to anyone. It has been most unconsciously done. However, I hope it will not be of short duration... 
I hope <laughs> I hope will be of short duration. The feelings which you tell me have long prevented the acknowledgement of your regard can have little difficulty in overcoming it after this explanation. Mr. Darcy, who was leaning against the mantelpiece with his eyes fixed on her, seemed to catch her words with no less resentment than surprise. His complexion became pale with anger, and the disturbance of his mind was visible in every feature. He was struggling for the appearance of composure, and would not open his lips till he believed himself to have attained it. The pause was to Elizabeth's feelings dreadful. At length, in a voice of forced calmness, he said, "'This is all the reply which I am to have the honor of expecting.' I might perhaps wish to be informed why, with so little endeavor at civility, I am thus rejected. But it is of small importance. I might as well, in I might as well inquire, replied she, why with so evident a design of offending and insulting me, you chose to tell me you liked me against your will, against your reason, and even against your character. Was not this some excuse for incivility if I was uncivil? But I have other provocations, you know I have. Had not my own feelings decided against you, had they been indifferent, or had they even been favorable, do you think that any consideration would tempt me to accept the man who has been the means of ruining, perhaps forever, the happiness of a most beloved sister? As she pronounced these words, Mr. Darcy changed color, but the emotion was short, and he listened without attempting to interrupt her while she continued. I have every reason in the world to think ill of you. No motive can excuse the unjust and ungenerous part you acted there. You dare not, you cannot deny that you have been the principal, if not the only means of dividing them from each other, of exposing one to the center of the world for caprice and instability, the other to its derision for disappointed hopes and involving them both in misery of the acutest kind. She paused and saw, with no slight indignation, that he was listening with an air which proved him wholly unmoved by any feeling or remorse. He even looked at her with a smile of affected incre incredulity. "'Can you deny that you have done it?' she repeated. With assumed tranquility, he then replied, "'I have no wish of denying that I did everything in my power to separate my friend from your sister, or that I rejoice in my success. Towards him, I have been kinder than towards myself.'" <laughs> Elizabeth disdained the appearance of noticing the civil reflection with its meaning did not escape, nor was it likely to conciliate her. But it is not merely this affair, she continued, on which my dislike is founded. Long before it had taken place, my opinion of you was decided. Your character was unfolded in the recital, which I received many months ago from Mr. Wickham. On this subject, what can you have to say? In what imaginary act of friendship can here defend yourself? Or under what misrepresentation can here impose upon others? You take an eager interest in that gentleman's concerns, said Darcy, in a less tranquil tone and with a heightened color. Who that knows what his misfortunes have been can help feeling an interest in him. His misfortunes, repeated Darcy contemptuously. Yes, his misfortunes <laughs> have been great indeed. And of your infliction, cried Elizabeth with energy, you have reduced him to his present state of poverty, comparative poverty. You have withheld the advantage <laughs> qualifier. You have withheld the advantages which you must know to have been designed for him. You have deprived the best years of his life of that independence, which was no less his due than his desert. You have done all this, and yet you can treat the mention of his misfortunes with contempt and ridicule. And this cried Darcy as he walked with quick steps across the room. Is your opinion of me? This is the estimation in which you hold me? I thank you for explaining it so fully. My faults, according to this calculation, are heavy indeed. But perhaps, 
added he, stopping in his walk and turning towards her. These offenses might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt by my honest confession of the scruples that had long prevented my forming any serious design. These bitter accusations might have been suppressed had I, with greater policy, concealed my struggles and flattered you into the belief of my being impelled by unqualified, unalloyed inclination, by reason, by reflection, by everything. But disguise of every sort is my abhorrence, nor am I ashamed of the feelings I related. They were natural and just. Could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your connections, to congratulate myself on the hope of relations whose condition in life is so decidedly beneath my own? Elizabeth felt herself growing more angry every moment, yet she tried the utmost to speak with composure when she said, You are mistaken, Mr. Darcy, if you suppose that the mode of your declaration affected me in any other way than than as it spared me the concern which I might have felt in refusing you had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner. She saw him start at this, but he said nothing, and she continued, You could not have made me the offer of your hand in any possible way that would have tempted me to accept it. (laughs) Why not? astonishment was obvious, and he looked at her with an expression of mingled incredulity and mortification. She went on. From the very beginning, from the first moment, right, drive that knife home. From the beginning, from the first moment, I may almost say of my acquaintance with you, your manners impressing me with the fullest belief of your arrogance, your conceit, and your selfish disdain for the feelings of others were such as to form the groundwork of disappropriation on which succeeding events have built so immovable a dislike, and I had not known you a month before I felt you were the last man in the world whom I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. You've said quite enough, madam. I perfectly comprehend your feelings and have now only to be ashamed of what my own have been. Forgive me for having taken up so much of your time, and accept my best wishes for your health and happiness. And with these words, he hastily left the room, and Elizabeth heard him the next moment open the front door and quit the house. The tumult of her mind was now painfully great. She knew not how to support herself, and from actual weakness sat down and cried for half an hour. Her astonishment, she reflected on what had passed, was increased by every review of it. That she should receive an offer of marriage from Mr. Darcy. That he should have been in love with her for so many months. So much in love as to wish to marry her in spite of all the objections he had made him prevent his friends marrying her sister, and which must appear at least with equal force in his own case, was most incredible. It was gratifying to have inspired unconsciously so strong an affection. But his pride, his abominable pride, his shameless avowal of what he had done with respect to Jane, his unpardonable assurance and acknowledging, though he could not justify it, and the unfeeling manner in which he had mentioned Mr. Wickham, his cruelty towards whom he had not attempted to deny, soon overcame the pity which the consideration of his attachment had for a moment excited. She continued in very agitating reflections till the sound of Lady Catherine's carriage made her feel how unequal she was to the encounter of Charlotte's observation and hurried away to her room. What do you think? You know, I had my first moment of, probably not my first moment, but like if we were in a creative writing workshop with Jane Austen and she presented this chapter I would request to show Don't Tell the first time Darcy unspools um, his grievances mm-hmm. after 
his initial proclamation of love. But like we've said, like clearly Jane Austen is very, very good at this. So like, why was that choice made? Like, it's not like she's shy about dialogue. So why here? Right. And every film adaptation has the unspooling, like, tran- like transposes the first, like his second comments into his first as part mm-hmm. of the proposal. So clearly we all do want that. It is weird that she just like lets it, like it, it's almost like she can't mortify both of them that badly in that moment. So she just like elides it and then they get into like the deets and fight each other out. Maybe. Mm. It's weird to like in literature period to have like a pre yada yada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. kind of what it is. <laughs> Let me tell you how much I ardently admire and love you. And then we just get like Elizabeth's unfolding reaction of like, oh, this, I feel bad. And how weird. Oh, wait, he's insulting me. Fuck him. <laughs> Which could have easily been incorporated into like folded through his dialogue. Her reaction. Absolutely. Because so, she she does it in the later part with Darcy's reactions to what Elizabeth's saying. Mm-hmm. So it's just, a, it's an interesting choice. And I I think your uh, theory that she could not mortify both of them that much, it, it reminds me of um, how a lot of romance authors manage their heroes today. Mm-hmm. Uh, contempor- contemporaneous to this podcast episode airing authors, right? Like, you can't make him that bad. Um, but Rochester is that bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's going to rip open your ribcage. <laughs> he's going to crush you like a yep. bird. His <laughs> bare hands. Yeah. Uh, Dar- Darcy's going to say some mean things about your parents, uh, and we're going to allude to what they are and yeah. watch Elizabeth get mad about it, but we're not actually going to hear what he said. Yeah, so who knows how mean they actually were. That's a good point. Like, she's already, like, revved up. She is. You know? He came into, like, I love that she's reading Jane's correspondence from beginning to end and she's looking for like mentions of Bingley and she's not finding any of it and so she's just like totally projecting she's like well there isn't that like cheerfulness that Jane is known for her unalloyed (laughs) joy for her yeah for her cheerful everyone knows how cheerful her letters are and the sense of serenity and here it's missing obviously he's like soul crushed her yeah. So Darcy just like unwittingly, I picture him like tripping over one of the letters a little bit, a crude drawing of himself with red X's over the eyes. He's like, oh, you dropped this, <laughs> Miss Miss Bennett, Miss Lizzie Bennett, you've dropped this. Let me pick it up for you. Oh, it appears to be me. How strange. Tell me more about how much you dislike Charlotte being married to Mr. Collins. Anyways, so your parents suck, but I still like you. <laughs> I like, and I'm, you know, being nicer to Bingley by breaking up that relationship than I am to myself. Ooh. Do you think I would rejoice in the inferiority of our connection? You know, that's the thing is, like, Austin doesn't put his, like, actual, like, what he says about her family on the page, like, the literal Mm -hmm. bullet points or what have you. But she does let him get in that absolute, like, cold, pithy snipe that would have 
you know, I'm sure if Lizzie was in less of a state would have stopped her in her tracks. Mm-hmm. She gives him that really good comeback. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, it seems, so to me, it seems like villain prevention. Yeah, it, it, it seems like, it's one of the cases where it, this is the text pulling a punch. Yes. Because, like, we have to, like, there has to be a reclamation of Darcy. And not too far away, this proposal comes in the middle of the book. Yeah. Like, we're we're halfway through, and only now are all of his sins truly laid bare to him. To him, yeah. As Elizabeth sees it. Ugh. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to, I'm ready for chapter 35. Samesies. Well, in the meantime, I would encourage all listeners, loosen your prejudices. But in this case, I'm going to go ahead and say hold on to your prides. There it is. Woli guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at Womance and on Twitter where we are at Mance underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>